head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe podcast right now to support the podcast and sign up for our premium content and now here's the podcast graham mcdonald is an idiot sean sheehan of severemma.com he even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god this is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 295 of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan, joined today by the Wayne Rooney of Irish MMA media, Graham MacDonald, as we talk about, you know, maybe the biggest week of the year in terms of mixed martial arts. Uh, We'll kick off the podcast even today by talking about UFC 257 and previewing Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier too, and then we look back at the card between Max Holloway and Calvin Cater, which we're literally minutes from here uh, right now. So we let that cool for a, a few minutes, and we talk about the McGregor card uh, first of all. But even before that, we must give a shout out to our sponsors, Manscaped. So it's a happy new year from our sponsors, Manscaped. Uh, and if you haven't heard of Manscaped, they're the best in men's below the waist grooming, offering precision engineering tools for your family jewels. And they're here to help you get clean balls for the new year. So ring in the new year with the right tools uh, for the job. I know myself from Graham, we only got the, the weed whackers in through uh, the door there the other day. So we'll have clean ears and. <laughs> clean noses uh, for the new year after having clean balls uh, at the end of 2020 uh, and you can have that too uh, so uh, spoiler alert hairy nuts are still gross at 2021 step into the new year with the tree standing taller and shave your boys manscaped this year uh, to give you new year's resolution that you'll want to keep the perfect package 3.0 is the blow the waist grooming package you need to start off strong this year come out of quarantine with clean balls thanks to the lawnmower 3.0 the waterproof skin safe trimmer will juice nicks your two best friends and the third generation trimmer even has a light to shine uh, on the promised land for 2021 that light is really really good it's also time to freshen up down there in the new year the crop preserver is an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer you already put deodorant on your armpits and why are you not putting them on the smelliest part of your body uh, and for on the go freshness you can get the crop reviver uh, ball toner spray too so start the new year with a fresh set of testicles thanks to manscaped manscaped even threw in their uh, shed travel bag which i have right here alongside me it's really really good all i need now is somewhere to go with it <laughs> you so you can keep all your uh, stuff your goodies uh, stored comfortably in that and speaking of comfort the manscaped anti-chafing boxer briefs are also included which are brilliant a- anyone who's bought anything from manscaped will tell you about those boxers they're they're on really next level so bring sexy back in 2021 get 20% off and free shipping with the code severe mma at manscaped.com your balls will thank you that's 20% off and free shipping with the code severe mma at manscaped.com uh new year new balls code severe mma 20% off it's a great deal free shipping as well absolutely fantastic deal so graham how are you how it's are an you? absolute absolute godsend for you it's about time somebody cleaned you up yeah. fairness, like. <laughs> I needed a bit of cleaning. <laughs> I needed a bit of cleaning. Especially you get the ears, the nose, the balls. You get everything. You, get you, everything. you be looking like a new man. That <laughs> <laughs> all smell will be gone. <laughs> they, won't, they, won't, they won't know me at all. I'm like a Sasquatch going around for the last 32 years. But now, I'm, thanks to the man's kept them all cleaned up. So, yeah, it's uh, it's perfect. <laughs> perfect altogether. So, before, before we start talking about the fights, I must, uh, I, I've kind of said it for the last couple of weeks. I tell people how I was getting on. As a lot of people know, I caught the old COVID there at the, the turn of the year. And uh, 
I'm good now. I'm like probably 95%. So I got it around. I got it on Christmas Eve, I think. Didn't really know until maybe two or three days after Christmas. Um, came on me maybe two days I had where I was like, oh, this is grand. I have mild symptoms, a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a cough maybe, which I still have a bit of a cough. Uh, but and nothing more but it kind of so, oh it was christmas some kind of quarantine breaking christmas party was it <laughs> well, well no it's the, uh, the irish government mr. mr coronavirus the irish the irish government allowed mr mr, mr. restriction <laughs> the irish government allowed two houses to visit another household over christmas and that's exactly how i got it where there was yeah, two houses there was, there was no funny business going on there was no funny but i didn't leave my estate during christmas that's that's how close i was to home so yeah no there was no funny business going on anyway uh-huh, so. uh-huh. I'll have to have words of Pat and yeah. uh, confirm this story. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he'll probably tell you lies anyway, that fucker. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, I'm not too bad anyway. So, For, so are you, you going to publish your, your test, your certificate, showing well, that you have coronavirus? Yeah. yeah prove to the people. I'll, I'll put it out there. <laughs> that you're not uh, one of these, one of these uh, fake and YouTuber, uh, internet personalities. <laughs> Gonna get sympathy and Cloud, go for me well, for your coronavirus. I, on, yeah? I kept putting out podcasts. I kept going. I kept, I didn't stop at all. I kept going through the whole. Day. Some people had no coronavirus. They just took a month off over uh, over the Christmas period. A lot of you fucking included. <laughs> so a lot of people did that. But yeah, anyway, ah, here now, Sean. Come on. <laughs> How was you here? Uh, come you actually. How was how was Brazil? Did you bring home the new fucking strain with you for over the last uh, two weeks? Did you? No, yeah, it was great. It was great crack. It was good to, you know, get a bit of sun and all that. Um, obviously, uh, spent some time with my wife. Then not just sitting in the house, which we obviously the quarantine. Everybody knows has been going on for fucking seems like forever. So uh, yeah, no, it was a welcome. It was a welcome break. Yeah, it's um, a, yeah, it's a pain. So now, it, you have to quarantine for another two weeks now, don't you? As well, because you're in Brazil. Yeah, they sent a message uh, to my wife about uh, going for a uh, COVID test. They didn't send me anything. I don't know why, but. Yeah, yeah, um, I'm. I just no probably just didn't because uh, we were in the exact same places all the time. So I don't know. It's, yeah. uh, sure, the two of you were together anyway. Much yeah, sure. No harm going for a test anyway. We got one. We had to get one before flying back. You oh, had to yeah. get one before going into Amsterdam mm-hmm. and Dublin, I think, as well. Oh no, I think it was just Amsterdam. But anyway, we had to get one within daily within seventy two hours. So mm-hmm. should have been. Everybody had to have that to be on the flight. So it should hopefully be. Yeah, stand up. Safe yeah, enough. Safe enough, anyway. But anyway, yeah. So before before we get into the fights, anyway, I suppose I'll tell you. I I got I got it bad for a couple of days, and then for about five or six days, I had a really bad. I was coughing and choking, and the breathing was fairly tough. I wasn't, you know, I was. I I don't think I was close to going to hospital. Maybe if it got a bit worse, maybe I would have. But uh, I was grand anyway after five or six days, and it took maybe three or four more days to get back to where I was kind of sick but comfortable uh and now for maybe the last uh, i don't know four or five days i've been pretty much you know 90 percent, still a bit you know coffee still a bit of a sore throat and things like that but nothing nothing serious so i'm i don't think i'm uh, i could spread it around or anything anymore and i don't think i'm i think i'm out of the woods anyway so thanks everyone for uh reaching out and and asking how i was and everything so i'm but i'm grand anyway so. and how does it compare to your your yearly man flu that you always big up yearly man flu it was it was definitely worse in terms of like the breeding, the breed, like 
being unable to breathe is very worrying <laughs> like it's I, I was drinking water all the time to kind of help me and it was like it's weird it's i've never felt anything like it before it's very very odd i, I imagine how people with asthma and stuff feel when they're kind of you know pulling in air and trying to breathe and stuff it was very 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 odd it, like it's definitely something i wouldn't wish on anyone <laughs> i would like stay in fucking stay out of the house uh and and try to avoid it as much as you can it's like it's something you really really don't want to pick up it's not comfortable at all and i imagine like someone with breathing difficulties or with bad asthma and stuff like that that's something they really really don't need so like are we the thing i've been talking about the whole time and everyone's been talking about the whole time is protect those vulnerable people and like i think we do like a 25 year old died in ireland here last week so we've you know it's it's not just i know i'm not the, the healthiest person in the world or anything and i got through it okay but so i might be a bad example but there are some people yeah. a lot healthier so than me at, not at the start of your 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 year-long rant about coronavirus yeah. uh, you uh would you have endorsed two household christmas parties well with it uh, during a peak uh, it wasn't during a peak though really was it it was when the numbers were all down and everything so it was, ah, you wouldn't believe what the government's telling you would you i, I was living through the, like it's a, it's a weird situation because like you're living through the, the government guidelines you're a <laughs> yeah. government man these I days, have, I've, 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 I've always been a government man myself and joe biden and, and michael martin getting on awful well sure you know <laughs> <laughs> we, we get on awful well. what do you and joe biden get up to i, hope, uh, <laughs> I don't even want to know I, know I think we'll get off this subject now let's go uh, well, congratulations to joe anyway and getting into the, the office and sure look these things happen anyway. right let's talk about uh your boy your your close personal friend conor mcgregor versus uh dustin paria um next weekend obviously mcgregor his first fight since around this time last year when he fought donald cowboy cerrone for one reason or another obviously coronavirus being the biggest reason and dan hawaii this was being the second biggest reason mcgregor wanted a fight uh and he's kind of putting that by him he did a couple of interviews and stuff uh, during the week and he kind of said that he wants to get through it and he's a bit he's been a little bit more bullish about this fight i think than he was about the cowboy fight you know he's saying he wants to finish paria quicker than he did the first time and there's a, li- a little bit of the old mcgregor coming back in in terms of of trash talk and things like that before we get into maybe the breakdown of the fight and everything like that how i and it's something i find very hard to like get my head around the times especially with mcgregor in the last while but how do you think he's looking and kind of sounding in interviews and in i mean i know we don't see much from him and you haven't been around him much over the last while and stuff either but how, how do you think he's looking and sounding as, as we are now what eight days away from this fight yeah well like usually i'd be i'd be more around him but i'm, I'm obviously in dublin as i mentioned earlier so uh i don't get to see as much but from the stuff i have seen and um from the the things I'm, I'm hearing i'm hearing he's in phenomenal shape and you know basically all the things that you're hearing pu- in public are are true that he's uh you know uh kind of you know the best tuned he's he's been in years if not ever mm-hmm. yeah look like to, to be honest we, we talked about him a lot la- last year and you know what the, the narrative <laughs> the, the mad narratives which he talked about when i interviewed him were about like how was he looking (laughs) but like the 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 narrative at that time was is this going to be the same mcgregor you know is he out partying is he out drinking is he out doing you know every sort of thing that uh under the sun you know is he prepared do the people still like him there doesn't seem to be any of that this time you know the instead this time of people on the streets being asked about you know do you still like conor mcgregor now we have puff pieces coming out about him you know the given p uh ppe to, to people and stuff like that which absolutely he deserves because he's done a great job of that over the last year and 
you know, we, there's no questions, like any of the interviews I've seen so far, there's no questions about anything, you know, nefarious or anything going on behind the scenes or anything. So it's really a changed, different story for Conor McGregor this year. Plus, I th- I really think, like, the uh, the lockdown and the quarantine is is a real blessing in disguise for McGregor. Because, you know, he said, I, I asked him in that interview last year, and loads of people have asked him uh, about it, you know, a big issue for him, I think, was, like, the fame. You know, when you become one of the most famous sports people in the world and you're out and you have one person pulling you to this, maybe, party and one person pulling you to this sponsorship opportunity and podcasts and and fucking, um, you know, uh, documentaries and all different sorts of things. It's, it's tough. I'm sure it's really, really tough. And when the quarantine came, all of that kind of went away. Okay, you saw him. He was over in France at one stage and I think he did a bit of his... Um, his uh, camp in, in Portugal and things like that, but you haven't really seen McGregor in the papers much, whether it's the the front page, the back page, or the, the entertainment pages, you know? And that's a very good sign, I think. Obviously, he wanted a fight in the middle of the year, and he was kind of in the gym a little bit, and we saw him kind of getting ready, and then, you know, nothing happened. And then he seems to have been in the gym for a long time, uh, again, you know, being out in Portugal and being in, in in Dublin as well, and now obviously out in Dubai, and now he's going to be moving over to UAE or here probably maybe today or tomorrow and stuff. Do, like, I, I, as someone just kind of looking at it from the outside in, I feel like that's a bit of a blessing for him. Do you think it's it's the same? Do you, like McGregor at the start? I remember he, I think it was one of the documentaries. He he was like, I'm obsessed with MMA and that's all I do. You know, I go from my house to to the gym and <laughs> maybe to get something these and back then again. And that's all he's really been able to do over the last year because of lockdown. Do you think that might be a bit of a blessing in disguise for him? Yeah, as you mentioned there, like, you know, court cases, and that's a lot of mental strain to be hanging over somebody, like a lot of um, stress and uncertainty and all that stuff. And that was still kind of going on leading into the, the cowboy fight and the cowboy uh, kind of return fight or comeback fight, as they were calling it. And I'd say there was a lot of kind of stress involved with that. But uh, now the, all those court cases seem to be, you know... Uh, gone and everything seems to be you know um looking up for mcgregor you know obviously obviously uh, uh your interview with dan hardy's coming out soon and uh he mentioned that, that he thinks that uh cerrone kind of or the in the cerrone fight build up connor kind of played down or just kind of mm-hmm. stay quiet to kind of throw off cerrone and let him get into his own head and not give him what he was expecting in those kind of like cerrone was obviously through previous experience expecting a lot of kind of trash talk and didn't get it and got kind of a whole different a whole different um face in those uh those media obligations in the build-up so i don't know if i agree with that but like maybe there's a, a little bit of that but i think you know all the stress and strain going on with all that stuff has to be has to be uh you know a big weight on any fighter or any any athlete or any normal person so yeah i think obviously um McGregor's obviously in better shape now as well because he's kind of continued on uh, after Cerrone where, you know, in the past he might, you know, win a fight like that against Cerrone and disappear for for a while. Mm-hmm. This time he seems to have stuck to it and, you know, he's posting loads of pictures and stuff on, on social media and looks in, looks in really great shape and everything I'm hearing is he's in really great shape and obviously uh, is going to be in really great shape as well. But the kind of thing with McGregor is that a lot of people ask is, you know, oh yeah, but which McGregor's going to turn up? Is he going to be focused? Is he, does he still want it? And I think, you know, a, lo- a lot of people will agree, will probably suspect in this or are expecting in this fight, a finely tuned McGregor. And I think that's what they're going to get. And 
Poirier, obviously, like he's a great fighter, but I think one of the promos kind of says there's levels to this. Like, and we we kind of saw that with Max Holloway tonight. Like, there is mm-hmm. like when you see like a performance like that, Max Holloway performance, or an even better performance like that, Conor McGregor, Eddie Alvarez performance, you you, you just realize how many levels there are to this, and the very best guys sometimes have have you know a lot of levels to go to that the very very good guys don't. Yeah, I yeah I I totally agree with that, and we we get into the fight in a second. But I as a kind of transition to talk about the fight, I think it's important kind of to close that up a little bit. Where, you know, we, that was it dominated the talk. I think last time, you know, about McGregor and his preparation, and I don't think obviously we you know we were still entering fight week, so maybe it'll, it's something that will be be pushed. But it hasn't really been pushed on. I think. I think we, I kind of had to mention that, you know, thinking about the topics we're kind of going to talk about that fight, I think that's a very important one, so you're looking at McGregor, and, you know, he's mentioned this week in, in interviews he did with the Habib fight, that he wasn't in the right place, and, you know, injured, and out partying, and stuff like that, so that can't be, not, not necessarily an excuse, but, it, you know, we look at McGregor coming in here, and that is what the sort of preparation he needed. And as we transition over yeah, to the fight like, here, no way, there's no way in this press conference mm-hmm. he's going to be, you know, drinking proper twelve. On, yeah. uh, on this on the stage, like what a weight could you know? This is just, this, it's just a different, mm-hmm. mindset, a different isn't it? Yeah. mindset. Yeah, yeah. The one big thing as well as we transition kind of over to the fight, one fifty five for me. I'm so delighted this fight is at one fifty five. McGregor speaking about wanting to keep fighting at one fifty five. Obviously, you know, he's he's mentioned the Pacquiao fight fighting boxing as well and he'd be happy to fight Nate at 170 if he fought him there but he's you know like the the season kind of thing last year that I think what he wants to do you know what's foremost in his mind is fighting again and keeping fighting at 155 like it, it seems to be a weird thing to say and I say it a lot and maybe you know maybe the stats don't back it up or whatever but I think 155 is his best weight class now you know, he went through Jose Aldo in, in 13 seconds at 145, and he beat Chad Mendes, and he beat Max Holloway, and he beat Dustin Poirier, and he beat Dennis Eaver, and he beat Diego Brandao, and I'm probably forgetting someone, but <laughs> he beat all of those guys with relative Poor ease. Marcus uh, poor Marcus Grimmage, sorry Marcus, at, at 145, but I think there was always that 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 thought and especially like i remember at the the ufc dublin uh wayans he came out to be weighed in i was like oh there's uh, patty hoolan i'm like oh wait no it's actually conor mcgregor <laughs> he, was, he was so sucked out and he looked so bad like he's i i think he actually looked worse than he actually was it, i think a lot of it comes from his face and you've his nutritionists and stuff have talked about that before but he looked so bad at 145 and then he went up obviously he went up to 170 and came back down but when he fought eddie alvarez at 155 it just looked like the apex of MMA almost, you know, it looked, it, it was one of the most dominant uh, displays we've ever seen in a UFC title uh, championship matchup. It was, it was just and, yeah, unbelievable. And the last, the last time we'd seen him at 155 uh, was the, the, um, Dave Hill fight, wasn't it? No, the Bushinger was fight. Was the Bushinger, oh, yeah, Bushinger, yeah. Absolute masterclass as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, uh, you know the best title fight in in Cage Warriors or the best title performance in Cage Warriors history as well. So, you know it was a lot of kind of evidence pointing towards 155 being his best weight, and uh, obviously he he looks like he's you know in shape. And at 155, he has the the correct nutrition, the correct muscle for what for what he needs to to not have to you know nearly kill himself making the weight like he did at 145 or not be. Uh, you know, uh, bloated to make 170 like he was in the first Diaz fight. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think you know, even though he's he's lost to Habib there, I think there was like circumstances around that that he wasn't in the same kind of 
focus as as he has been uh, previously and and looks to be in again so yeah i think 155 is definitely uh, his best weight class uh, plus habib is pretty good as well <laughs> so there's there's no shame even if you're at the best losing him but i th- i think the same probably goes for Poirier actually i think you know he's a, a big 155er now and he spoke like mcgregor about going to 170 and mcgregor has gone to it but Poirier has spoken before obviously he has fought at 145 and watching his fights as we get into maybe the analysis of the fight a little bit here um I think what Paria has done and what he has adjusted since he has lost to McGregor and since he was at 145 is down to that move, I think, a lot. Because I think the extra 10 pounds for Paria more than I think anyone that I can think of in the history of the UFC has helped his chin so much. He can afford to be a little bit more reckless. He can afford to throw a few more shots. He can afford to kind of rely on his chin a little bit more at 155, or a lot more even at 155 than he did at 145. Now, this weekend he's fighting maybe the best knockout artist we've ever seen at those combined two weight classes. So it's a little bit of a different story. But still, I think... I don't think it. And he be... was knocked out early, but I know it was a few years ago by Michael Johnson in, in the first round as well. So you know, I wouldn't be wouldn't be relying on my chin, my chin too much in this fight. No, indeed, but I like. I think Poirier, like the way he uses, uh, the, or the way he fights. If you have, you know, McGregor said it before the first fight, and it turned out to be absolutely correct going into it. Like, you know, a gust of wind comes and it knocks him over, puts him down on on one knee, and like that. Okay, that wasn't necessarily true, but it was a bit like that. Like Poirier was getting, he got knocked down by Akira Kurosani, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in in uh, in one of his fights and things like that. And like, he, I, I, no matter what you think of Poirier, I don't think he, anyone thinks he's on that level or should be getting knocked down by someone like that. You know, so. It's he's. I think he's a totally different fighter in that realm because of it, and I think you know him moving up to one fifty five brings huge advantages with it, and it's allowed him, I think, to develop his game. Now, Paria for me has developed into a really, really good fighter all the way around. You know, one thing I really want to mention here before we get into the striking, because the striking will be obviously the main analysis and breakdown here. Paria's wrestling and jiu-jitsu are very good as well. You know, every fight that McGregor's ever lost has been by submission. So you cannot, dis- um, you know, look look past someone who has some good submission wins on his career. I know it's a good while back now since he got most of them uh, for Paria. But, you know, in that Joseph Duffy fight, we saw that where, du- you know, Duffy was doing okay on the field. I watched it back this week and Paria was able to change levels, take him down. Now, McGregor has very, very good takedown defense as well, which, okay, you look at the part of the Habib fight, maybe you wouldn't think that. But if you look at all his other fights, uh, I think most people who are kind of unbiased and looking at him see that. So it won't be easy to take him down, but if you can draw him in a little bit and get a takedown and put him on the ground, that's a big way forward for Paria. So, you know, as we saw, and I'm sure we'll get to the Matt Brown-Carlos Condit fight, that happened a little bit in that fight with Matt Brown in the first round, and that could be something Paria looks at. But for me, the the, the kind of the striking uh, of Paria, like, I, I think he's developed his jab into such a great weapon that people are kind of afraid of it a little bit and he can use his chin a little bit more because of that because they know what's kind of coming after it and obviously fighting out of southpaw position as well is a big issue for a lot of people something which i maybe will i leave to i asked dan hardy about it tomorrow and he gave a way better answer than uh, than i gave so that's coming out tomorrow on uh, on severe mma but like do you think paria is the, the way he's striking has developed like i think he's striking has developed a little bit more you know obviously he was doing a, a lot of jabbing and a lot of left hands coming behind it and going to the body and stuff but i think 
he's gone, especially in the hooker fight most recently, he's got turned into a little bit like McGregor, which obviously we'll get to McGregor in a second, but McGregor is very much, I think, um, a kind of an attacking counterfighter. He walks forward, throws things to make you strike, and then kind of counters you. I think Poirier has gone a little bit like that. What challenges do you think that brings to, to, to McGregor if Poirier is going to come out doing that, trying to draw McGregor out maybe a little bit? Yeah, well, I, yeah, I think um, Connor. You know, he was kind of known as a counterfighter before, but he's he's well able to do both. I think, um, he, especially especially with his hands. Um, so, yeah, like for Poirier, obviously he's made a lot of improvements. I think uh, around the time of maybe in one of the, in embedded or something like that, around the time of the first fight, um, you could see you could see in the videos how how. Um, hard it was for Poirier to make the weight obviously it was very hard for McGregor to make the weight as well but for Poirier it seemed like it was uh it was even more difficult uh, even though the kind of aesthetics of it would would indicate otherwise Mm -hmm. and he kind of said I don't know if it was straight after the fight or before his next fight that he spent so much time worrying about the weight and cutting weight and doing everything about the weight that he couldn't train properly couldn't evolve and I think I think that happens to a, a lot of guys when they fight too regularly and have to cut a lot of weight um so I think like a you know, he's obviously a completely different fighter than he was. You mentioned the chin. You mentioned all that stuff. Uh, his his boxing has improved a lot. His his uh, ability to mix in wrestling and jiu-jitsu. But I just, I just everywhere, everywhere, every route to victory, just kind of. I think Connor's better everywhere. You know, if he comes in with takedown attempts that aren't like Habib's, where you're, they're constantly chained together and mm-hmm. all this stuff. Yeah. He's just going to eat punishment. I think. I think. Um, yeah, stuff like that, and um, it's going to be very difficult early to to pin McGregor down in in any way. Um, I just, I just don't really. I, obviously, he's made a lot of improvements and all that stuff. When he hits hard, he proved that in the first fight. Like you know, he cracked Connor a couple of times, and uh, it was only a what minute and a, or minute and thirty seconds, a minute yeah, and thirty like that, six yeah. seconds. It didn't go long, but he he didn't get completely blown out of the water in in those in the first minute anyway. Like you know, he's he's definitely a game fighter and all that. But anything can happen in MMA and all that. But I just I just really see Connor superior everywhere. Like I think Connor's jiu-jitsu is better. Obviously, his striking is better. Uh, he's been working with Phil Sutcliffe and the, bo- the the boxing lads again now for what a year now more. Uh, tightening up his boxing even more. I think uh, if anybody is going to have even imp- more improved boxing than the last time we saw his boxing, it's probably going to be Connor, not Poirier. Like, I think Connor's boxing was on another level at the time when they first fought, and it's improved more now. I, I I'd say so. Uh, it's a really difficult fight for Poirier. I think to to win. You think Par? So you think McGregor is better jiu-jitsu than Dustin Poirier? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Do you? How come? Like we haven't, yeah. we haven't seen. You've seen probably think, a good bit of it, but just, we haven't seen. Much just we, the time we've seen um, his jiu-jitsu fail is when he was very tired yeah, uh, or already rocked. And I think when, if even if you look at the Diaz fight, he there's a sweep there where Diaz goes for a takedown and Connor lands on top at the end of the first round. Yeah. Um, like you know, I think everybody can say that Diaz, like, obviously has his deficiencies in MMA, but he's definitely very good on the ground. And if you can, like, you know, and I've seen him, you know, a lot of time, a lot of rolling, a lot of jiu-jitsu over the years. Like, you wouldn't believe how much, like, mm-hmm. a lot. And, uh, yeah, his jiu-jitsu is, is extremely good. Like, um, like if, if he put the gi on and did classes, like, I've no doubt he'd get a black belt from John 
if he made it that his goal to do in two months, he'd have that. That's that's crazy. Yeah, he has the brown belt, hasn't he? Didn't John give it to him yeah. after his one? If I saw, yeah, that's interesting to me, and it'd be interesting if, if it does go there. I think, I, like, I think a lot of people kind of like to see that. I suppose a little bit with McGregor when he's fresh gone to the ground, because but we rarely see or uh, see that unless it's you know against Sabib, obviously just kind of holding him down in in that kind yeah, of three quarter. He, did, he, did, he did like um, you know nullify. He defended more. Well, yeah. than, more than other people have in early rounds in the Habib fight. And, um, you know, the Max Holloway fight, obviously, he, he hurt his knee and had to had to kind of turn to jiu-jitsu and completely dominated there mm-hmm. uh, with some nice wrestling mixed in as well. So, like, we've kind of seen glimpses of it. Yeah. And the kind of memorable things are when he was tired and gassed out and, you know, his jiu-jitsu was kind of how he lost. So, obviously, that was sticking people's mind, but... Haven't seen a, a lot more than a lot more of a sample size. I think, you know, it's just it was extremely good. Mm-hmm. And I suppose like that's the one thing as well you mentioned there about getting gassed out. That's that's probably the biggest area in which you we see deficiencies from McGregor. Okay, we, I'm going to talk more in a, in a minute about Poirier's deficiencies, and especially when we get to the strike and how you know I think we both probably think McGregor will win, but. Like, if you're Parian, and you're looking, how do I win this fight? You're probably looking at that. You're probably looking like, okay, survive the early star. McGregor says he's going to come out and knock him out in the first 60 seconds. First of all, survive that, and then survive the next 60 seconds, and then the next three minutes after that, and get into the second round. And make McGregor a little bit more tired. Take away the pop from his shots a little bit more. Now, McGregor might still have the same pop in his shots in the fifth round. Who knows? Where <laughs> it's, it's a lot of guesswork and talking about what we've seen in the past. We've only seen McGregor twice in the last four years, so who knows, you know, what he's conditioning is like he's in in those two fights and especially you know after the the fly mayweather about he talked about uh, you know the mcgregor fast program and it was all about conditioning basically with him uh you know over the last few years so we haven't really seen that tested obviously the 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 cowboy fight only lasted 40 seconds so in the last year that's all we've seen from mcgregor so how will his conditioning look so obviously that's an addendum I'll throw on to that there but if you're Dustin Poirier you you know you want to pull out that addendum and and test it and see if it's correct so you want I I think that's what Poirier needs to do here obviously you know maybe push McGregor into the cage get a couple of takedowns early wear him out don't let McGregor uh, strike with you in in open water where he can land lots of strikes we'll get into the striking more in a second but I think that's what Poirier needs to do I think I think that's what Poirier's game plan will be I think Poirier will be uh, smart about it. I think he's in one of the best gyms in the world with some of the best tacticians in the world, Mike Brown and everyone else there as well. Uh, so I think that's what Paria will, will be trying to do. But uh, like, if you look at some of Paria's fights recently, especially I mentioned he's kind of become more of an attacking counter fighter as well, with a little bit more reliance on his jab maybe than than McGregor. McGregor jabs a lot, but he jabs in kind of more of an attacking way after he's thrown his kicks and things like that and tried to to draw you out by walking forward. So. If you look at, say, the Eddie Alvarez fight for Conor McGregor, that's what Alvarez did a little bit. Now, I think Parry is a superior striker to Alvarez. I think he's faster, more accurate, more powerful in every way. Uh, and obviously fights out of the southpaw position as well, so it'll be a little bit different. But I think McGregor can be Parry in that way. I think McGregor can be Parry in getting Parry to throw shots avoiding him and countering him and being faster we'll talk about max holloway a little bit later on now he didn't do that as much holloway but he was so much faster than cater he just destroyed him and dismantled him from second one i think that's what mcgregor will try to be against poria you know you said he's working with boxing coaches obviously he prepared for floyd mayweather he's worked on loads on boxing over the last few years 
if his hands are faster than they've ever been, I think it'll be the perfect thing for Dustin Poirier, and I think he'll land lots of shots. I think Poirier's chin has improved, as I said earlier on. I, I definitely stand by that, but there's only so much you can take if McGregor is hitting you like that. Now, if Poirier can land, and if Poirier can get his jab going, and he can move his head and uh, keep away from those McGregor shots, and from McGregor's hitting air... You know, he absolutely can knock McGregor out too because Poirier hits really, really hard. These guys are two hard fucking hitters. You know, I, I said earlier on, arguably McGregor is one of the hardest hitters in, in those two divisions either. Poirier is in that argument as well. Make no mistake about that. He hits really, really, really hard uh, and he can catch McGregor as well. But I just think that speed will be a little bit different from McGregor. Uh, I think, uh, you know, he kicked it's funny with McGregor because you know he kicked the legs a lot against Diaz in that fight and I think that was a lot of that was down to him not wanting to throw a lot of those high and flashy kicks that he threw down at 145 um but, but prior to that because of I think the gas tank it'll be interesting to see what he does at 155 will he will he throw more of those high kicks will he throw more of those spinning kicks will he throw more of those leg kicks um, or you know, or, you know, will he have more confidence maybe in his cardio going long uh, in that fight? It'll be interesting because you know I remember uh, I was on a conference call with him once and I asked him basically that exact question and he goes I paint many pictures <laughs> so it's you know I'd say even if I was speaking to begin and asked him again he probably wouldn't get a straight answer we probably won't get an answer until around this time next week uh, when we're watching him in the cage against Poria but what what do you think on that like the, the striking matchup itself and McGregor like do you, do you think McGregor will be coming out throwing flashy kicks and things like that or do you think it'll be more of a boxing match this time um <laughs> Yeah, I think it'll probably be more of a boxing match um, early anyway. Like if it's if it starts going long, Connor always likes to work the body, and like you know, in in all of his fights as well, he, he mixes it up well. Like the leg kicks, maybe they're not standard leg kicks, like Muay Thai leg kicks, but he's always touching the leg and all that stuff. So he, like, the, I don't think he'll abandon that completely or anything, but I don't expect like you know, like the Brandao fight where he's throwing spinning hook kicks and spinning heel kicks and all this stuff. Uh, you know, if the if the opportunity arises, like you know, he's he's a fighter that you know will adapt. He won't stick to a game plan or anything like that. So strict that he won't kind of read it himself as as it happens. And he's a he's you know obviously his his fight IQ is very high as well. So, mm-hmm. but I don't I don't I don't think that's going to be the game plan or anything to go out there and you know bring back the the spinning heel kicks and spinning hook kicks like constantly. Mm-hmm. So what's the prediction? What do you think? McGregor first round KO? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Like Poirier is obviously, you know, he's very tough and all, but um if he like it could go into like a second round, but uh, first or second round, I think probably first. Yeah, like I we'll we obviously doing the betting show over on Patreon. It's gonna be a huge week on Patreon. I have a lot of guests lined up, so patreon.com forward slash severe my podcast. And we have the betting show out uh, Friday evening all going well and you know, maybe the give the final pick for that, but I, I, I just think, I think that speed again will be too much for Poirier, and I think the power of McGregor obviously is is unbelievable to add to that speed as well. Uh, so yeah, my my prediction at this stage is I think McGregor around maybe round two KO, round one or round two. So, but I, I think it'll be, I think it'll be a more competitive fight this time. I think McGregor. Do you know, sometimes we, we look at Conor McGregor and we think he's the cockiest man to ever live, you know? <laughs> and it's easy to do that, I suppose, you know, because he's a pretty cocky fucking man, apparently. But he, you know, I was on Submission Radio there a while back and they asked me about, like, having no crowd there and stuff. And obviously there is a crowd there now, but, the, like, the answer I kind of gave to them was I'm looking forward to seeing seeing Conor McGregor 
as a fighter, you know, with just his fight ability there, and, and nothing about, like, what's going on outside the cage, or nothing about, you know, his fame, or his fortune, or anything like that, like, what I love, and I think what you love as well, I mean, you know, we, we, okay, we love a bit of the other stuff as well, and a bit of the, the entertainment, whatever, whatever, but I love watching fights, and I love talking about fights like this, and, you know, seeing how, how it'll break down fighter A versus fighter B, and I feel like McGregor, more than anyone else, doesn't get enough maybe credit is the wrong word but enough talk about his game and about how good he is and you know his deficiencies even and, and things that he does you know he does to, to win fights and how he wins fights and how he's changed up and improved his game over the last while and um that was something i was kind of looking forward to seeing and, and maybe enjoying a little bit more with, with no crowd maybe backing it up but i still think we will see a little bit of that more than than ever before and if he is improved as he says he is and if he is um, you know, as on it as it looks like his preparations would suggest that he will be, I think it'll be another uh, it'll be another great performance for McGregor. And you know, if not, we have to readjust because he's only fought well, as I said, what forty seconds win uh, of a winning fight in the last you know f- good few years. Um, so maybe he's not the fighter he once was. We we will find out on Saturday night. But I think McGregor at his best. I think he knocks out Parry in a couple of rounds. If he's not at his best, Parry, as we mentioned earlier, on, is absolutely good enough to land big shots um, uh, on McGregor. So I'm I'm really looking forward. I think it'll be a a very very fun fight. So that's that fight anyway and obviously we'll be talking about it a lot more uh, as the week goes as it goes on we'll have a a lot a lot more podcasts up on patreon and stuff graham dan hooker versus michael chandler how would you how'd you see that one going yeah it's a great fight for uh you know um on on this card mm-hmm. uh we're going to talk about max holloway um he said if, if any if there's any injuries uh he's willing to step in to any of these fights so that's 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 good to know that's good to have the, <laughs> the backup there um i don't think you could re you could you know you could plug down hooker in i know he's the, f- the favorite but i think mike chandler would be the um will be the favorite will be should be the favorite and will win this fight do you think so yeah because he's not the favorite though because we were looking at it there the yeah. other day dan hooker is the favorite and i was a little bit surprised by that like i, I the, the thing about this is right i think michael chandler at his best was better than Dan Hooker at his best so far, but I'm not sure where Michael Chandler is and he's in his is in his career. That's hard, easy for me to say. Uh, I know he, you know, he beat Vincent Henderson recently and all that as well, but I don't think Chandler is at the top of his career. I still favor him here. I just think, I think he might be able to wrestle da, um, Dan Hooker a little bit. I think he'd be able to land a few big shots in him as well, but. I think I, I really think as well a three-round fight really benefits Michael Chandler. If this was a five-round fight, I think I'd probably pick Hooker because I think he'd be able to take it a little bit longer, maybe you know land enough shots and attack the body of Michael Chandler, which he he tends to do a lot and maybe take it long. But over three rounds, I think Chandler will will just about have enough for him. Like, do, do you think Chandler is still at his best, and do you think it'll be easy for him against Hooker? Or do you think it'll be a close one? I don't think he's at his best, but uh, yeah, I do think he should have enough here. Maybe the bookies are. You know, Bellator guys haven't done so well in the UFC historically. Maybe, maybe there's something a lot of people think. You know, no drug testing out in Bellator. Whenever they come in, they might look different. Um, maybe that's been factored in a little bit. But uh, you know, uh, I'd be I'd be pretty confident Michael Chandler has enough to win this. Um, if he looks anything like he's looked uh, throughout the years, and even recently, obviously. Um, you know, Dan Hooker is a well-rounded, good fighter, but 
especially over three rounds as you mentioned Michael Chandler can output a lot a lot of uh, effort in over three rounds a lot more than he can over in five rounds so I think that's actually a huge factor in in the fight and it's it's really good for Michael Chandler to kind of ease himself into the UFC and kind of see see where the the lay of the land as they say see where he stands um in not a five round fight uh, obviously, he's just like UFC jitters and nerves and all that stuff. But he's been in, you know, huge fights for yeah. for a long time. He fought Eddie Alvarez. He's had that big rematch. Yeah, I think I think that UFC jitter thing probably, you know, maybe if he's coming in against like Habib or McGregor at the height of it or whatever, maybe in a, again a full crowd, all this stuff, maybe it would be a bit different. Mm-hmm. But in, I don't think this is, you know anything Michael Chandler hasn't seen before so I wouldn't factor that in yeah like Michael Chandler I think the biggest thing about UFC jitters is kind of you know fighting in big arenas and fighting in in different places like Michael Chandler has fought in you know he's fought in the Saitama Super Arena he's fought in you know in California he's fought in New York he's fought you know or he's fought it's in always San Jose been the and... dream to fight in the UFC or something but Mike Chandler's had like several opportunities to move and hasn't and yeah. signed long-term contracts with Bellator happy enough so I don't think don't think that was you know some fighters have that you know when they start they want to be a UFC fighter or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think any of that's playing in here with Michael Chandler. Yeah, in, in, indeed. But either way, I think it'll be a fantastic fight. I think both of these guys are going to come out swinging and uh, trying to uh, avoid the bullets coming from the other side of it. So I think it'll be a a fun one overall. You know, it might be the card that you know, shines out with loads of fights. I think there was, uh, I know we're going to get into the Holloway card immediately after this, but there was almost more on, on this Holloway card tonight in terms of like fights that we really want to see, obviously aside from the top two. Um, just to kind of, Yeah, we're going to be trying to sell the pay-per-view next week, probably. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe as well. But uh, we've Jessica I versus uh, Joanne Calderwood, which is, you know, a good fight. It'll probably go to a decision. Uh, I would just about favour Jessica I there. I think she'd probably go for a few takedowns and try to get Calderwood down. I think she's a little bit more powerful than Calderwood as well, and we know how judges scored this, uh, this uh, you know, in, in 2021. So... Um, you know, should be an okay fight. I don't think it'll be a, a mad fight altogether. I think the better uh, women's fight in this is in the strawweight division is Marina Rodriguez takes on Amanda Hebas. To me, one of the best up-and-comers uh, in terms of star power in any of the women's divisions. So watch out for Hebas in that. Rodriguez lost her last fight, but it was a really, really uh, contentious decision, if I'm not uh, mistaken, against Carla Esparza, uh, Matt Frivola, and uh, Ottoman Atazar is on this card as well. I'm a big fan of Nazrat Hakpar as he's fighting Arman Saryukin. Brad Tavares against Shoeface, Antonio Carlos Jr. Uh, Juliana Pena against Sarah McMahon. I don't think that would be the best fight in the world, but if you love tough fucking battles and hard-nosed fighters, <laughs> these are two of the most hard-nosed women you'll ever see fighting in MMA. So that should be a battle to for the ages. Might, might be a classic. I don't think it'll be winning fight at night, but I look forward to that. Um, fucking Mai Tai expert Kelly Roundtree Jr. is back here as well. Uh, Andrew Sanchez is always exciting. Uh, and Ivalev versus Nick Lentz. Uh, that's on short notice as well, so that should be a, a fun one as well. So, you know, not a, not a bad card. Uh, overall, Some I'm really looking forward to Hebas. I'm really looking forward to seeing Hakbaras uh, back in there again. And, uh, yeah, so... Look forward to the card. Obviously, the the top two fights should be amazing. Graham, before we get to to tonight's card, and uh, um, Michael Chiesa is obviously fighting Neil Magny as well on uh, on Wednesday. We might have another bit of a podcast about that, but just maybe quickly mentioning that card as well here. 
There's some good fights on that. The Omari Akhmanov Tom Breeze fight has been moved back to that, if I'm not mistaken, unless it's been moved again. But I'm looking forward to seeing Tom Breeze coming back. Uh, Ricky Simon is on that card as well. Lerone Murphy from Manchester, I believe. He's a really, really top prospect. One of the top prospects coming out of England. Uh, Roxanne Modafferi, Vivian Arujo is on this card. Matt Schnell, Tyson Nammett, Flyweight. An absolutely brilliant fight. Love that fight. Warley Alves versus Munir Lazez. Munir Lazez, famous for being on the, the, the rewatch hidden gyms. A really, really exciting fighter. And uh, obviously Magni versus Chiesa. I fancy Magni to win that fight against Chiesa pretty handily. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I think obviously Chiesa uh, is kind of all about a rear naked choke and... I think Neil Magny's just too well rounded for that. Like, uh, obviously, Magny's kind of he's got no kind of outstanding ability that kind of holds him back from being a being a very top guy, a mm-hmm. excellent guy. But I think against somebody like Chiesa, he's just more well rounded, and you know he's not gonna he's very unlikely to get caught in that Marinica choke or yeah. some variant of that. So yeah, I think Magny should uh, as long as he's switched on and. He knows what Casey does, which I'm sure he does, and then he'll be well prepared. He'll be handy enough for him, I think. Yeah, I think this will be. A, I think this has fifty forty five written all over it for Neil Magny. To be honest, I think it's going to be one of those fights. And I must, must mention as well, Mason Jones makes his UFC debut on this card against Mike Davis. And someone sent it to me the other day. I don't know if it's changed or not, but he's a big underdog against Mike Davis, the two weight cage warrior champion Mason Jones. Fighting at lightweight, which in my opinion is his uh, best weight. He was two uh, two to one underdog the other day when yeah. I saw it. I don't know if he's still down or not. I don't have a. I can pull it up in front of me here in a second. Yeah. Two point six and one point five four. So yeah, that I, I don't. I watched a, a couple of Mike Davis fights, and he's a good fighter and all, but. I don't like. I don't think anyone should be that big. Now, Mike Davis might won't win, but I don't think anyone should be that big of a favorite against Mason Jones unless you're, you know, ranked in the top fifteen or, or there or thereabouts. I think that's. I think those odds are very off, very very off altogether. So, if you uh, if you fancy a bet on that, he's plus one fifty five. I'm looking at it here. So interesting, interesting. Let's see. Uh, let's see how how that goes. Um, so yeah, okay, before we get to the card tonight as well, Habib, made, uh, in the middle of the card tonight, made his decision, uh, and the decision was, he'll wait till next week, and see what happens, and then think about coming back, so, obviously Habib is, is going to come back, he's going to oh, fight yeah. again, it's... The promises to his mother and all that stuff, he's... <laughs> yeah, he's out, yeah. Absolutely, out the window. Yeah, John, you got, you got taken in by an MMA retirement, how do you, you feel? You did a little bit as well, Don, fair oh, enough. Go back, and, go back and listen, then. <laughs> I, I, as I always say, looking forward to his next fight. <laughs> you got taken in a little bit, don't lie, you know. No, a small, no, a small bit, a back, little bit. You got taken in a small bit. You, you, I, I'm pretty sure you asked me, so I think he's coming back or not, and I said he's coming back. Yeah, maybe. You know, I probably did as well, though. I wasn't, uh, no one takes me in. But look, for me, I, I was talking about it to a couple of lads over in the Patreon group last night and stuff, and. <sighs> Habib, what's the intrigue about Habib, right? The, you look at some people fighting, what's the intrigue about him? You look at Mikel Pereira fighting, right? Is he going to come out and is he going to be mad? Is he, is he going to be insane? That's the intrigue about him. McGregor, it's the spectacle. It's can he get the early knockout? Is, is, he, is his, um, you know, is his uh, prediction going to be right? He's like, John Jones, how dominantly can he win? And Daniel Cormier, if he's fighting Jones, you know, can he take him down? Can he dominate him there? With Habib, I think the intrigue with Habib, is can someone be a match for him? It's not like, can it be an even fight, or can he get past this? Like, Habib is destroying everyone. And I think the intrigue for Habib is a test. 
And he, I think all the tests are kind of gone at 155. Now, people probably say to me, just after talking up McGregor and if he's back to his best. Obviously, you know, he could fight at 155 again or he could have a super fight again. But I really think if Habib comes back, he needs to go to 170. He has he has done his tests at 155. He has passed all those tests. He's won the title. He's defended it. All of that stuff. He's done it all. He's fought McGregor. He's fought um, uh, Poirier. He's fought uh, Gaethje. He's fought loads of big, big ones. Okay, obviously there's some names. But I think it's time to move on. I want to see him fight Usman. I want to yeah. see him fight Colby Covington. I want to see him test him. Perfect record, you know what I mean? He can walk away, perfect record, yeah, all that stuff. Or he can, you know, it's a big risk moving up. Yeah, but like he's what? Is he 32 years of age? What the fuck is he going to be doing? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I always say. What are they going to do when they're retired and all that? But they seem to think, you know, that it's just, you know, Habib, Habib and his team seem to think this is, you know, more of a short-term thing and to kind of live i don't know for how many years but two or three years khabib's kind of been hinting at this not going on forever so i think he's different in in terms of you know a a lot of fighters obviously just kind of assume it's going on forever don't even pay taxes and then whatever don't keep their money don't buy stupid things and they're Mm -hmm. fucked by the time five years passes after their retirement but i don't think you know i think khabib with the kind of russian sponsorships and all that stuff's probably uh, these big fights with McGregor or whatever 2.6 million pay-per-views he's made a lot of money he's he he he's in a position where he could just walk away and not have to risk going up to the 170 like it, it makes all the sense in the world he has terrible trouble making weight did he even make weight the last time no. probably not yeah definitely not mm-hmm. pretty much um you know, it would solve a lot of problems, but it is a big risk. You know, you come up against people who can really fucking wrestle as well and are big and bigger and strong and, and people like Usman or mm-hmm. a person like Usman. You know, does he, does he really want to risk that? Like everybody says, oh, he's not afraid of anybody. He's not afraid of anybody. But, you know, uh, if, if there was an easier guy, if there was an easier kind of division up there, if there wasn't kind of this, this guy, Usman kind of, could be his kind of kryptonite there waiting there would he have already gone if say connor was the 170 champion he would have been gone there mm-hmm. long ago if wonder boy was the 170 champion i bet you he'd yeah, be he, there. yeah you know what i mean like it, it, it fighters aren't afraid of anybody and people will say oh that's bullshit or whatever but it's not like these guys make calculated decisions for their career like mm-hmm. um and they don't take unnecessarily risky fights sometimes in different weight classes but some of them do like mm-hmm. um but most of them don't um so yeah i think Maybe he probably would have went to 170 already if he was going to go to 170 uh, permanently anyway. You know, if he was going yeah. to fight GSP or something, that's different. Like, that's, that's a kind of novelty fight or something. Like. I put up a, a poll today, uh, and I only put up for a couple of hours, and a few hundred people voted. And I said, who would win, Usman or Habib? And 54% of people said Usman would win. Now, that's the reason I want to see the fight. You know, because there is that intrigue. If I put up that like, for anyone, okay, maybe McGregor because of Irish fans. But if he, you know, you know what I mean? If I put it up for Gaethje, put it up for Holloway, whoever it might be, Poirier, that's going to be 70, 80% for Habib. That's why I want to see him go to 170. And, you know, this hasn't, I don't think it's been talked about enough with Habib. The, the, what makes Habib interesting is the intrigue and it's going to get less and less intriguing if Habib is fighting at 155 like imagine Habib versus Dan Hooker or like um, he's just going to destroy him you know this Tony Ferguson fight I know a lot of people kind of thought that was going to be a great fight he's just going to destroy him as well you know we, we just know that's going to happen 
and at one fifty five, like. Oh, what about Ally Quinta's full camp? Full, full, full <laughs> yeah, camp, Ally Quinta. The, uh, the problem with it is, well, like, obviously, there's probably people listening to this and saying, but obviously, the McGregor fight is the, the huge money fight. Absolutely, it is. Like, if you, it takes McGregor fight, no matter. But, like, the McGregor fight's always going to be there. Plus, if let's say McGregor beats Paria at the weekend, Habib says, fuck it, I ain't going up. And McGregor either is handed the belt or goes and, and, uh, uh, and fights for the belt in, in his next fight against you know, Hooker or Chandler or Oliveira or whoever it might be, Gaethje or Ferguson, whoever it might be. Um, th- imagine McGregor wins the belt and Habib wins the belt at 170 and there's a super fight. Th- that would be massive. Or even if Habib was up and he loses to Usman, that fight is still huge between McGregor and, and Habib. So, I like... I really th- and and the intrigue is even more then because Habib has been beaten and then you see oh, has the the invincibility been taken away has McGregor more of a shot so I think like it's a win 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 for Habib okay now you you could say Habib's uh, thing is about legacy and it's not about money yeah. but this, a long time ago uh, his it was a long time ago but he went up against Gleason Tebow who was like mm-hmm. on a bigger, bigger yeah. stronger like not as big as Usman when he stretches about the nation but a big mm-hmm. strong guy in the fifty five division and. Obviously, a bit striking, and a lot of his game wasn't up to wasn't up to what it is now, or anywhere near it. But the strength is the yeah. What, what do you mean? Yeah, the yeah. strength factor. Like obviously, maybe his strength and conditioning is a bit better now, but he'd been wrestling for a lot of years before that, and that was a very contentious fight at the time. Like people kind of, yeah, um, probably you know it's a long time ago. Write it off. Fair enough, but mm-hmm. maybe that's in a bit mind why he hasn't gone up. You know, he's he's felt bigger guys in the gym all, uh, in AKA as well, and if he was ragdolling them. I'm sure he would have had no no problem yeah. going up to 170. Uh, like I talked about that fight before, and I think I've talked about it too much. And as you say, we can we can throw that out. And I think we kind of can throw it out now. Habib has moved on from that enough. But the the point about the strength is and is the, the the point I think we should all make because Habib Habib's game is strength. You know, okay, obviously technique and wrestling's technique is unbelievable. But everyone, you know, when you hear DC talking about him and everything like that, it's his strength that everyone talks about. And uh, I. Uh, I think yeah, against someone like Usman, like the strength of Usman. Look at that Tyron Woodley fight; it's it's ungodly. Him against Habib would just be an unbelievable fight. I really, really want to see that fight. But however, we'll I'm sure we'll find out in the next while, or maybe we won't. Like this is the Habib has always done this kind of though. You know, Habib is okay. He's been injured, but he he only fights once every six months, maybe twice every eighteen months, or or something like that. You know, Habib is not a guy who regularly fights. Uh, anyway, so he's happy enough to do this, happy enough to let someone emerge, you know. So, I like I think Habib has kind of played everyone a little bit here, and it's it's smart to do that. But I think he needs to make the right move the next time, you know. You don't want to end up like fucking Harham Asvidal going around, you know, dressing up as Conor McGregor, losing fights, tweeting about Donald Trump for eight months and not fighting and losing everything you'd built. Like, you don't want to end up like that, man. Habib won't, uh, because he's more intelligent than that fucking idiot. But, um, yeah, anyway. Uh, let's, uh, I, I, and I'm going to say this again, but before we get to the card from last night, did you read, uh, did you read the article about Spencer Fisher this week that, uh, Stephen Morocco brought out? And, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. Uh, it's, it's something I have to mention here, and obviously it's a podcast that I prob- probably should get an expert on to talk about, and we should have an hour-long discussion about it, but just, to, I have to mention it here, because it's, to me, like, it kind of changed the way I, I looked at certain fights, after I read it, it was it was fair play to Stephen Morocco, an absolutely brilliant job he did on it. And you know, 
if you haven't read the article it's about spencer fisher obviously who's the fight fighting the ufc and uh was was there or thereabouts up a top ranked fighter for a good few years um then he was stopped from fighting because he had uh brain injuries dana white in the ufc kind of paid him one of those chocolate l deals forrest griffin deals for a good while but when endeavor bought the ufc that stopped and he'd know uh, the money kind of stopped coming in uh, and now he's running kind of his own gym, but he has serious brain issues now. He has uh, uh, he's slurring his words a little bit, forgetting stuff. Like, yeah, yeah it's, it's awful. Very, very sad. And obviously, he's been in a lot of tough fights and all. And like that is the reality of this in a lot of ways in for fighters now. How how can we alleviate that? How can things stop? We we can do that. I I think by giving longer breaks between fights and by helping people more. But I think the bigger point in this is I think I think a lot of it's already you know, happened as well. Like back yeah. in Spencer Fisher's day, like when he was coming up in them gyms, like were notorious. All those gyms were notorious for mm-hmm. like you know fights every weekend or fights twice a week at sparring, like uh, taking serious damage. Um, and then you know. Uh, <laughs> If you do it for a lot of years, he had a lot of fights. Uh, obviously, uh, you know he had to be stopped from fighting, which is a which is a thing that is, is very rare for Dana and the UFC to do is to mm-hmm. you know force somebody to retire and to kind of give them a, a fake job to kind of keep them away. So uh, it is a it is a unique enough thing to happen, but uh, you know if it happened. If it happened to somebody maybe more high profile, we might see a lot more outrage. But at the end of the day, like it is the reality of you know getting hit in the head mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. We, we can't deny that. Like that is Absolutely. that is like you know NFL have had years of of stuff about it, like and mm-hmm. micro micro concussions and mm-hmm. all that stuff. It's definitely uh, any contact sport, rugby, all all that stuff, and boxing and. MMA, obviously, you can hit anywhere in the body. You can use different limbs and stuff, but you are taking a lot of head damage. And, uh, you know, hopefully not, but we're probably going to see a lot of a lot of fighters, from, especially from the old old school as they get older, not remember things and, mm-hmm. you know, have early amnesia at the very least, if not full-blown CTE. Yeah, yeah 100%. And what I call, like, a lot of that is unavoidable, and that's the, the reality of it as well, but... We what the two things you hit on the two points there that that we need to change and what the UFC needs to change uh, is the one point I want, and the other point is in gyms and stuff like that there can't be as much hard sparring as there once was we can't have the the old shooter box you know training and the, the Militic gyms and all like that where you go in and the first person to knock knock the guy out wins we can't have that anymore that that can't happen we've learned too much it's too dangerous and you can't do that so there's a responsibility there and i think there's a responsibility on the ufc to educate people about that now i think they have done a little bit about that they've been working with the cleveland clinic and i think the the ufc pi does that a little bit as well so i'm not you know i'm not sure how much they do that however much they do they need to do more and what they also need to do more is support the fighters more during their career and after their career i think there needs to be longer suspensions after fights when people take a lot of damage like max holloway tonight obviously we're going to get to that fight eventually um you know he was in there five rounds and he's on about fighting next week that should there should be no question about that he should not be allowed to fight next week no matter what and i don't think he will but, but of you know, course just... he will be allowed to fight if if for example Poirier comes up injured 
Yeah. He's straight in there. Like, you know uh, he is. Yeah, but I don't think it should. Like, I think that's the exact sort of thing that shouldn't happen. That shouldn't be allowed to happen. We need to protect these guys. Uh, need to protect their brands. Need to, you know. Okay, fair enough. If Max Holloway won in, in 30 seconds tonight, didn't take a shot. Have him fight next week, no problem. But not the way he fought tonight. Okay, he dominated the fight and we'll get to it and stuff. But And I also think the UFC should be paying these guys more, but they should be... Uh, supporting them and every single one of them everyone that steps inside the UFC cage with medical bills and support after their career forever like you can go in there and you can have one UFC fight and it can change your career you know we've seen Anthony Pettis versus Rafael Dos Anjos and we've seen that fight and what happened to Anthony Pettis' career after that and we've seen Chris Weidman go in there and get destroyed against Luke Rockhold like these guys are going in there and they're giving part of themselves for the UFC and for Dan White to earn money and for Endeavor to earn money and Ari Emanuel and all these guys. These guys should be paying for them and for their medical bills for the rest of their life. They, they, they won't do that voluntarily though. That'll have to be some kind of like, yeah. not union but association or whatever. There's no way it's so expensive. Like and it would force the UFC to actually like not sign a lot of you know the fighters that we're mm-hmm. seeing on the undercards these days be, the UFC caliber thing will be back and uh, yeah there's so many cards uh, there's just there's no way they're gonna do that without a fight but they, there should be a fight that that fight should absolutely be there like the the the, the answer Dan White gave this week when he was asked about that I thought it was awful. It's like, oh, this happens. You know, these guys know what they're signing up for. What they should be signing up for is a way more safer sport. Like, it's it's an uh, like by its nature, it's an unsafe sport. Like, we, as we mentioned earlier, we're not getting away from that. But the UFC, it's like the UFC for years, Dana White has said there's never been a serious injury uh, or death in the UFC. Well, that's out the door now uh, as we look at Spencer Fisher. That's absolutely out the door. That man got a serious injury. That the, What he's living with is absolutely did, a serious yeah, injury. And the UFC will obviously say, oh, well, like that wasn't from the UFC fights. That was from his previous promotions and all his sparring and whatever. They can, all they can that say stuff. what like, they want. They, he's doing that to prepare to fight in the UFC. I know, but he, he's definitely going to you know, continue to say that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And justify it. He can say what he wants. You know, Dana White lies every fucking time he opens his mouth. But like, that doesn't mean we have to listen to his shit. You know, I, I, like, they need... They really need to be pushed in this. And I think it's our responsibility. It's the fighters' responsibility, even more so. But it's it's responsibility of everyone covering MMA to kind of push for that. And uh, it's like MMA, I, I'm only comfortable with watching MMA if everything is done to make it as safe as possible. Like there's, there's a, a thin line between MMA, what we see happening here, and something that is not right. You know, okay, it's grand two lads sign up for it and everything like that, but everything needs to be done to make those two people who go in there as safe as godly possible, uh, before yeah. and after they fight. And I, I, uh, like, I, I, that's a, that's a thing that I think everyone watching MMA sh- uh, who cares about yeah. the sport should, I, I should have in their mind. I wouldn't think you'd find anybody arguing, but I, I, what I'm kind of saying is just like it's going to be very difficult to do that, impossible. And Absolutely, with an yeah. association, once you fought five, five fights in the UFC or something then you go from like a zero hour contract to like a employee contract and you have medic- medical or whatever yeah. and shit like that mm-hmm. something could be worked out but without an actual association that isn't anything like any of the unions or associations we've seen attempted before like it would have to be it would, it's going to take a lot of time to, to get all that yeah. done and get it done right and it really needs like you know Conor McGregor basically exactly or, you know exactly. what I mean yeah, it does. To, to dedicate to this, like, and is he going to do that? Like, 
probably not. Like, no fighter's done it. Like, you know, at the, uh, when like it's well, just going to put you as the public enemy or company com- mm-hmm. company enemy number one. Like, and it's going to potentially take a lot out of your pocket and th- could potentially ruin a lot of things for you. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, Dana's not going to take this easily. Like the the investors and Endeavor and all that shit aren't going to aren't going to want that mm-hmm. and nobody's going to want that so it's 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 the pipe dream yeah unfortunately it is and like it's yeah unfortunately it is but you know the point about mcgregor it, this is very near and dear to his heart obviously because of you know the joe carvalho thing you know he was there cage side for that if i'm not mistaken i was because charlie ward was fighting and things and that affected him very badly and he's often talking about though, things as, like when when you're a fighter you can't be thinking about that you yeah. can't, can't be in your mind you have to block that out of your mind mm-hmm. or else you're going to drive yourself insane and not fight or you know what i mean yeah. every fighter has to just not think about that mm-hmm. and if you're campaigning for this like which would be a big job like it wouldn't just be like oh let's fucking do this and it's done like it'd be a huge thing to get you know proper contracts proper staff proper medical pension all that stuff Mm -hmm. like it's i don't think any fighter active fighter wants that you know constantly in their head like it just would ruin you as a fighter mentally yeah it's yeah it's true it's very difficult like it is it is a very difficult one but look i think it's an important conversation to have and I'm, i'm glad i mentioned it here and it's something that you know, it's something that I would le- love to never talk about again. You know, it's something that I w- w- hope never rears its ugly head again. But it will. It's it's just unavoidable. It's just unavoidable. But look, um, fair play to, to Stephen Morocco for bringing that up and his editors. What's over, the story in boxing? Uh, like you might know better than me. What's the story in boxing with, with this kind of thing? Well, it's like boxing is is worse than MMA in terms of like the support i don't think there's any support for anyone they have like injured boxers funds and things like that i think but there's no like obviously there's no um one organization box i'm not sure if the wbo and wbc and stuff do it but there's a lot there's a lot of punch drunk boxers going around like i think boxing is worse than mma for ct and things like that to be honest um because of the the gloves for one and because there's no grappling and stuff like that where it's it's all punching and boxing obviously and with mma we have grappling and things like that but mma is becoming a very more strike orientated sport so in years to come if we don't adjust things um it's it's gonna get it's gonna get worse so it's you know it's it's a tough reality it really is a tough reality and you know we we cover this sport all the time so we're you know and people listen to it as well watch this sport all the time it's it's great and like watching that fight tonight the demand of interest will obviously get on to now great entertainment but it's hard to watch that after reading that article this week and not think about calvin cater's brain and not want to have that fight stopped and not want to have the the corner throwing the towel like the, the scores at the end of the fight 50 43 50 43 50 42 personally i had it 50 41 i think i did i had two 10 eights in a and a 10 7 thrown in there as well it was like did you yeah, did fourth, you think of that fourth is a 10 7 was it? i think so yeah yeah I, I, I just had two 10 eights uh with the fourth and the second being a 10 8 but like yeah there was, was other close ones as well there like uh obviously i think I think everything was okay up until the the fourth the yeah. fourth round. He was taking some serious damage and he kind of went a bit wobbly. But in, in fairness to the referee, every time he kind of looked like he's pretty finished, he did throw back and he threw back with combinations. And obviously he was visibly unsteady and all that. But 
you know, the kind of instructions that you've been given that the referees give you is like, if I ask you for something or ask you for something, you better give it to me or I'm going to stop the fight. Like if you, you know, and he did, he did kind of just about do enough to, you know, um, make it a valid non-stoppage by, by Herb Dean. And I think, mm. I think, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, you know, uh, about like taking too much damage, it would be the same or whatever. But I don't think it was a situation where like Chris Weidman was like mounted by Luke Rockhold, just getting the head beaten off. And I think you know Max Holloway's shots were good, sharp shots, but they weren't devastating, big, impactful shots. Do you think Matt Goddard would have stopped that fight in the fourth round? Mm, yeah, yeah, probably. Like, like but he, yeah, he likes to get involved, though. You know what I mean. That's but, kind of his uh, style. Yeah. Herb Dean's style is more kind of like, I'm going to try not be involved. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I thought it was horrendous, to be honest. I like, there was, it, there's a clear nah, point. I thought it was really bad. There's a clear point in that fight where you're looking at him and they're like, everything that he's throwing is just out of pure desperation. Like, there's, oh, like a, there's no intelligent defense. Like snap back, snap back uh, Holloway's head with a nice overhand, didn't he? Like, you know, he definitely wasn't, completely like he wasn't completely a fish out of water just waiting to be killed he he definitely had some some stuff coming back as well and obviously you know it was extremely unlikely he's going to win the fight but we've seen stranger things happening and you know if he had it stopped it there would have been no arguments from anybody including himself but the fact that he kind of threw back and moved and didn't actually fall you know, was enough for it not to be it to be justified not stopping it. Do you, think, her being do you think the corner should have stopped it so after the fourth round? Yeah, I think it's more on the corner. Like, you know, if if they know their fighter better and like Herb Dean's kinda of giving them every chance, but you know, um I I, 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 I wouldn't have been well I would have been surprised I w- like it wouldn't have been a shock. Like, you know, in MMA you're always surprised when anybody throws in the tail because it pretty much never happens. Like like Nick Diaz is the only man saying enough to to throw in a towel and <laughs> in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, you know it wouldn't have been shocking. You would have been like, "Oh, fair enough, that's a good call." But it just never happens in MMA. I don't know why it just never happens. There's always maybe there's just so many ways to win. That's how they look at it. Like in boxing, there's kind of one way to win. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Look, it, it was a it was an interesting fight, I suppose, at the start. I think. I tweeted before myself and Ian did a, a kind of a preview and I was talking about uh, Max Holloway's speed versus Cater's power um, and maybe Max waiting for that power to come and try to counter it with his speed but that's not really how it played out. I think it, Max just had no respect for him whatsoever from second one. He went forward and he used that speed rather than waiting for Cater to give him opportunities. He just took the opportunities. Like... You mentioned it earlier on about levels, and that's all I could think of. <laughs> From like maybe the midpoint to the second round on, it was just levels. That was all I was going through. Was this is a, he's a different level. This guy can't hit him at all. Hardly when he was hitting him, it was because Max Holloway was leaving himself miles open. Like in the fourth round or in the third round, Cater landed maybe four big shots, and they had no effect whatsoever on Max Holloway, like none. And I think. When you look at that and you'd say, like, you, this is the power guy against maybe the speed guy, but the guy with the speed, it's, his shots are having more of an effect 
than Cater's power shots. That is a big, big difference there. Like, and that's how obviously fights are scored as well. The more effective shots, the effect is like the effect it has on you. You can see afterwards. You're like, it's not so much the shot that lands. It's like the ten seconds after the shot that lands. You know what? What it makes you do. Like if a if you get hit with one shot and you don't move and you get hit with another shot and you back up and you fall against the fins well the second shot has a lot more of an effect on you and that was the difference i think here between cater and holloway in a lot of these exchanges there was just holloway was unflappable in the the four round then i thought i thought it was a 10-7 i know it was a lot of people scored at a 10-7 it was close yeah holloway hit him with that fucking huge elbow absolutely decimated him i thought it should have been stopped at least twice at different points there was at least another couple of times where i thought the corner should have thrown in the towel i was literally like i I don't think i've ever seen a fight before in the ufc where i'm expecting the towel to come through the air like i know it's maybe foolhardy of me to expect that because of corners in mma but i was really expecting it Uh, and then in the fifth as well uh, I think it was a, a 10-8 Holloway, like, started talking to the commentary and was just letting Cater throw shots at him and just ducking out the way he wasn't even looking at him. It was just a complete demolition, yeah. decimation. Did you, did you enjoy the, the showmanship? Yeah, I did. The- I did. I did. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it as well. Too, it was yeah. good. Well, it, it, it seemed natural. It didn't seem like, no. you know, pre-planned or anything like that. It just seemed like enjoying himself, knew, knew he'd won, knew, knew, like, you know, just knew it was... Uh, it was a brilliant performance by him, one of the best of his career, and just was kind of natural and didn't didn't you know when some guys kind of put it on, it's 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 off putting, it's annoying. Yeah. But, but when like somebody like Silva used to do it naturally, or guys like Diaz or Connor do it, it mm-hmm. it seems natural. Yeah. And when Holloway did it, it seemed natural and I enjoyed it. Although I'll, I'll say two things. It would have been hilarious if he got knocked out at that stage, like after he did it, because that would have been a replay for years. And I was, because it was on earlier, I was texting a couple of my friends and they were watching he, it. Herb Dean might have known. He might have been like, you no, know, Herb Dean would have let it go. Yeah. Max Holloway might just throw it in his hand and look the other way and yeah, yeah. come back and win. So I'm not stopping this fight. Uh, Herb would fucking be great. But uh, a couple of my friends were watching it and they were like, Oh, I, I hate Max Holloway now. You know, so some people don't like that. You know, and uh, that's I suppose I I liked it. I thought it was I thought it was funny, and as you said, natural. And that's the most important thing. So I was, uh, yeah, look a wonderful performance. People kind of fight of the year. Um, it got fight at night, which is farcical to me. How was that, how did that get fight at night? It was just a demolition. It was a punch bag against the fucking uh, MMA fighter. It just decimated him for every fucking round. I, I don't know how that is. That's not to me in question for fight of the year or anything like that. De- demolition of the year, absolutely. Performance of the year, absolutely. Holloway was brilliant. I actually thought as well, as good as Holloway, well, no, not as good as Holloway was, but Holloway was unbelievably brilliant. Like, but I thought Cater was terrible. I thought he had. I, I didn't think he, I thought he froze. I didn't think he threw his hands nearly enough. You know, when we did and he did throw his hands, you could see him landing on Holloway. Like if he did that early, especially in the first round or two, I think he could have had more success because Holloway was leaving opportunities, like he was leaving openings. But you know, everyone's saying it's the best Holloway ever. And you know, it probably was because of you know, because of a lot of things, obviously, but I think Cater helped that. You know, I think he was a willing you know, he put him over. He was a winning opponent for for a lot of that, and you know Holloway was really, really good. But I thought Cater was terrible as well. So, not a not a great performance for him. But anyway, um, the 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 undercard before we get to maybe the other fights in the main card, five decisions, uh, two split decisions. 
three unanimous decisions. The Imaev Zawada fight was probably the, the standout one in that very, very close fight. Uh, I think the judges got it right. I thought Imaev won it. Uh, Vanessa Miller and Austin Lingo both got wins here. Really fun fight between Carlos Felipe and Justin Taffa. Split decision in that one in the heavyweight fight. Really close fight again. I think it was the third round and that was the the close one. Really, really good fight again. And then Jocelyn Edwards put on a fantastic display on, on Sharn Odeskin's uh, Wu Yanan. Uh, I think I had that one 29-28 if I'm not mistaken. But she, she deserves to win anyway. It was either 29-28 or 30-27. So really good display there uh, by uh, Jocelyn Edwards. And then in the main cards... Uh, what did you think of the stoppage in the Puna Soriano Todorovic fight? I thought it was a little bit early from Herb Dean. I thought, like, obviously Puna knocked him down a couple of times, but the last time he knocked him down, Dusa went for his legs and he was trying to wrestle him. Herb was on the wrong side. I don't know if he could see it or not, but I thought, yeah. it, was, I thought it was a bad stoppage. What do you think? Yeah, I always kind of go towards it, kind of let it play out a few seconds. Obviously, there's the situations where you don't if the guy's lying stiff or something, but if there's any kind of doubt like that, I, I always like it. The guy to be given a chance, you know. We've seen some unbelievable comebacks in in UFC and MMA in general when guys look like they're finished. They're about to be finished earlier on the fight, and he looked like he's about to be finished. Fair enough, but he he wasn't finished. Like he definitely wasn't finished. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. But a uh, good performance from Punelli anyway. And I think he was. I hate saying it, but I think he was on his way to uh, to winning that fight anyway because he he knocked him down a good few times. Um, Alessio Dishiroko got a, the shock of the night oh, with a fantastic head kick knockout of Joaquin Buckley, most famous for knocking out um, the Impa Peng- I don't know, I can't say his name, uh, with that uh, vaulted spinning wheel kick, uh, knockout of the decade, knockout of the year, knockout of the century, and he got knocked out himself here with a head kick. I think the problem for him here was he was too predictable. He like Every time he was coming in, he was kind of ducking in to range because his opponent was much obviously taller than him and longer than him and he was ducking in with that jab inside and he was like fainting the duck at times and just leaving himself wide open from an area which uh, the Shiroko can connect uh, on him so uh, yeah not the smartest fight in the world by Buckley but a really good knockout from the Shiroko then the Shiroko gave the oddest post fight speech ever and then went to the press conference and did the same thing he's like I don't want to speak because you don't interview losers after their fights. You only interview winners. I'm like, <laughs> why Why would you interview guys that are after just getting knocked out or let her like crying or upset and stuff? What, like, why Why do you do Why would you do that? I don't know. I, just, I don't understand his, his point. That I know in, in some sports and some different things, absolutely. But I think in MMA and in, in lots of sports now, obviously it's different. If McGregor loses next week, you have to interview him because it's a big story and it's it's a big thing. But if you're, you know, unless you're the Chirico and you lose, what... All that we need to know from you is, you know, you're back in the gym, you're trying to improve, and you're coming back again. We don't need, you know, or we don't... Or you know, excuses or something. Yeah. going to hate you, and it's just like... Yeah. Let's, let's be real about it, like, you know, let, we need to know, you know, if Conor McGregor loses the next weekend, we need to know if he's going to fucking retire, or if he's going to go to 170, or if he's going to go to boxing, or, you know, we need to, that's a story, we need to know that, like, nobody cares, no, and, and being respectful, but no one cares what Justin Taff is doing after losing tonight, like, let's be honest here, so, uh, that's, that's the reality of it, and that's a weird <laughs> mountain to die on, for our hill to die on, even for Alessa de Chirico, but anyway, um, Li Zhang Liang then got a beautiful knockout. Shades of Michael Bisping on Luke Rockhold uh, over Santiago Ponzinibbio. How, I didn't think Ponzinibbio looked great. I thought that there was a bit of ring rust here. Obviously, he hasn't fought much. He got that bone infection over the last while. What, what do you think of knockout? What do you think of Ponzinibbio's uh, performance as well? 
Yeah, like he he's obviously been out for a long time and the game evolves quick and all this stuff I always say, but you know, when especially when you've had some kind of bad injury, mm-hmm. you haven't been able to, to train at all pretty much, uh, probably by the sounds of, of the extent of that injury. So it's not it's it's not unexpected that he didn't look great, but he looked extra bad. He looked he looked terrible. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, he got knocked out and all, but he 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 was losing the fight, kind of all the way through. I thought as well, yeah. and um, yeah, he just he just didn't look anywhere near, uh, you know, the the kind of prospect he was before he before he uh, disappeared with injury. Yeah, indeed, I agree with that. But a great win for Li Zhang Yang. You know, the best win of his career by a, a mile. And I think he's a really good fighter, well rounded guy, and showing maybe another shrink to his bow here. So a really really good win for him. Um, and in the co-main event, Carlos Condit got a unanimous decision over Matt Brown. Actually, I'm just thinking about it here. I gave a 10-9 to uh, Matt Brown, but it was very close. How, how did you score it? Yeah, I, I thought Condit won it, but I saw a lot of people uh, on Twitter and stuff uh, as it was happening, giving it to Brown. But yeah, I thought Condit did, did enough. But uh, yeah, um, I, did, I just think Brown is just completely, you know, Condit's over the hill, but Brown is just completely finished. Yeah. That kind of killer instinct or kind of aggressiveness that he had before, or like kind of willing to give one to get one is gone, and that's kind of what he was. And he's without it, he's he's not much. Yeah, but the the, the biggest issue for me, I think, with Brown was, he, do you know, the, the phrase "shot" came into my head in like the the second and third rounds there because he still. Like, he still has the want to do it, you can see it, but he just couldn't throw his hands, he could, just couldn't let things go. Even in that first round, and that's why it was a bit, like, the, the problem with that first round is, okay, Condit was, I think, just about winning it before it got to the ground, but there wasn't really much thrown or landed. Uh, and then Brown got on top, and Condit landed a good bit from the bottom, but I thought Brown was, you know, throwing enough just about to be ahead. I, I You know, I watch it back again and maybe I think Condit, because all three judges gave it to Condit and they know more than me and were probably watching it closer than me. So, I, I, you know, but I think no one would argue it wasn't close. But I think Matt Brown in that position in the past wouldn't have allowed that to be close, you know. And then when it got into the second round and he got in certain good positions and things like that, he just looked tired. And, like, Matt Brown is a guy... You know, a, a bit of a Jordan Henderson, like you know, if, if he didn't have his um his cardio and his ability to run, he wouldn't be much of a player. You know, he, he's he's a good good. You know, he can do everything, do a bit of everything, but that's what he's best at. He's good at being a, a hard worker and hard nosed, and that's what Matt Brown is known for. And he just didn't look like that here. You know, he looked like he was gassing out. He looked like he wasn't putting in enough effort. He looked like he wasn't throwing. And I don't, I don't think he. It's not that I don't think he uh, he was doing that. I don't. I think he was putting in as much effort as he could. But I just don't think he can do as much as he once could. I just don't think he is the fighter he once was. He's just a little bit shot. Carlos Condit I thought looked okay. Uh, obviously not the fighter he was once either. But his level was a lot higher than Brown's level. I think and he went on and, and won the, the the second and third round pretty comprehensively and, and got the unanimous decision win. So we uh, bought our picks over in the fantasy. Were right, Graham. We both picked Holloway and Conda to win by decision. So we were uh, we were dead right. So there you go. Um, before we go, I'm I'm not doing any Q and A this week because we're doing loads of stuff and um, I don't think my voice could take talking for forty five minutes alone. So we answer a few questions here. Um, do we learn and from Mr. Podge, friend of the podcast? Have we learned anything new about Max Holloway? Does Volkanovski still beat him? You know, I don't think we learned much new to be honest about Max Holloway. Yeah. It, was, it was a really good fight. Like the Volkanovski fight was close, so it'd probably be another close fight. The two yeah. fights were close. So. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, he he probably did like have a little bit more output than usual, even though he always has high output. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know he was able to sustain it throughout, and you know uh, not get demoralized when the guy wouldn't fall. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, um, you know when you, when you hit somebody with that many clean shots, you expect you expect a target to go down, but he didn't. Um, and that can demoralize people. So he, like he definitely showed like you know everything he could in that fight. Like you know Absolutely, he, yeah. he wasn't challenged too much. But, like you know that's nothing to do with him. That's not his fault. But yeah, I think um, yeah, I'd like to see that Volkanovski fight again. Like I think I think it's close enough. You know that. What else are you gonna do? Like you know, what other big fight can can you can you make in that division? Volkanovski's fighting. Uh, Ariel reported today that he's fighting um, Brian Ortega coming up here in yeah. March. I think so. Like yeah. I've I've no problem with that. Make that fight, but I I want to see the Max Holloway fight again. I, I think you know, I said it at the time. I don't want to see it immediately, and they ha- obviously haven't done it immediately. Both lads are getting other fights. I don't think we need to wait too long. You know, maybe... I wouldn't mind seeing Max getting another fight, to be honest. I think he demolishes anyone he fights in that division, apart from Volkanovski. So, I, I think Max himself might want another fight. As he said there, you know, after this fight, he was like, right, let's let's fight next week. I don't know about that. But I wouldn't mind seeing Max fight again. So, yeah. Um, dark, dank souls. Will Conor McGregor score another submission win before the end of his career? No. That's uh, on, on topic. Uh, I don't know. Do you think he will? Do you think he'll get a submission before the end of his career? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Ooh, that's interesting. Uh, where does Holloway's showing rank tonight amongst the all-time great five-round performances? Uh, it was a great five-round performance, undoubtedly. I don't think it ranks up there amongst the greats because of the level DJ, of opposition. Yeah. Yeah, DJ uh, probably has a few of those spots yeah, as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, I would, uh, that's a very good, uh, you know, that that's like a, a Ray Borg win or one of them. Or, you know, it's... I, I I don't I wouldn't put it up there with like you know Alexander Volk or Alexander uh, Gustafson and John Jones or you know McGregor versus Nate Diaz or anything. I I don't think it was them you know but it wasn't a close five round fight so yeah there you go uh, is Zoom training the next big thing I don't know about that is it just me or did Hardy's presence seem to stop DC from acting a clown as much as he normally does. Oh, I don't know. I just think having no three people in the in the boot it, it yeah. just doesn't work. No, it's... especially with DC there. Like I think just his personality of trying to banter the whole time with everybody is just it doesn't work. Especially in a, in a three. Like if John Alex just being stoic and DC's there with him, it might work better. I think. Like it just yeah. Like you know Dan Hardy's usually with John Gooden and he does a great job. But this time with a three, in three. Uh, Man, boots. It's just a different dynamic, you know. It's, it's. Uh, I don't know. It just didn't work. I don't think. I, I have no comment on the commentary. I would like to move on and not, not speak about that. I have no comment on anyone. I, I. The one thing I will criticize, though, I think. Dan, Dan, who's got to you? Who's got to you? <laughs> I've been gotten the. We'll see you during the week. But I think Dan Hardy spoke way too much about stats. He like. I don't know why. I. I like. I, Listen to what I was trying to look at it from his side of view. Maybe it's a, be different. it's a different dynamic, and like, is he meant to do like be a different guy, yeah, or maybe. is it just a free for all? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Is is there that much like are the ESPN or UFC producers or whatever mm-hmm. directors saying this is your job? Like when you're a two man boot, John Allen is kind of the fucking stats guy and the, the fucking ad guy and the fucking coming up next and the mm-hmm. fucking tail of the tape guy or whatever. And then the other guy is the kind of color. But then when there's three in there, the different are two guys yeah. just the color or 
there's one guy that kind of stats guy or oh, I don't know it just fucks true. it all up that is true uh, Gavin Spring and Willman corner start predicting their fighters after beatings like Kater 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 took probably oh, no, probably never never will, never will no. uh, how good of, would a fight between Blessed and Connor be now at 155 oh, yeah, I'd love to see it like, that's a fight like I'd almost rather see that than the Poirier McGregor fight you know I've always kind of wanted to see that rematch I think it'd be fantastic and yeah I'd love to see it um, who from Patrick Sheehan who are the top five if, if, if a Poirier got injured uh, no. and Holloway stepped in would you be happy no I wouldn't if he stepped in <laughs> in two months time absolutely who are you'd the, be happy then yeah I'd be happy then who are the top five toughest fighters ever from Patrick Sheehan Just, I don't know Ryan. probably like people that are like not that good that like managed to Diego be so tough, be so tough that they got way further than they should have. So yeah. probably people like John Fitch and like Jake Shields and Ryan Nelson, <laughs> yeah. people who I don't know. Tony Ferguson. We can't even remember people who like had no talent but were just unbelievably tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, in any the early of us, days, the early days, like this, <laughs> fucking mad tough fuckers. Sorry, I'm coughing there. Will any of us sleep tonight after watching that performance from Don Barry? No, probably not. Uh, where did Max get his chin from at that age? Isn't it uh, like it's funny they were talking about the sparring and stuff? That must help Max because he has taken <clears throat> a lot of damage over the last while and he has been in a lot of big, tough fights. So it's interesting. Something really weird happened to him. Um, I can't remember what fight it was. And Bisbee yeah, called Bisping him out. Called, yeah. and and he was fucking in a bad way. A really fucking worrying. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Apparently, at the time, um, th- there was like reports that the team were trying to wake him up during the wake court and they couldn't wake him up for like a like several minutes and that's mm-hmm. fucking when he woke up he didn't know what the fuck was going on and was like making no sense and shit like so if that's true and we, we could see how you know his face is kind of droopy when Bisping called him out on not really making much sense in the interview yeah um, yeah that's fucking you know that was a real worrying thing and it's good to see he's you know looks to have you know no anyway effects, yeah. yeah he looks to have fully recovered hopefully he has you know uh, obviously we were talking earlier about the kind of brain injuries and how you know, a lot of it's not understood, mm. even at this stage. You know, obviously we're understanding a lot more about TD and concussions throughout the last ten or fifteen years, but they're still, you know, they still put guys who have clearly concussed into a concussion test. They come out and they don't have concussion according to the test. So, yeah, I like, I don't know. It's 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 fucked up. Yeah, it definitely is. All right, everybody. Um, that's it from us uh, for this week. Longest podcast we've done in in a good while, <laughs> but it's uh, pretty. It's a pretty big week. My voice is starting to go on. Yeah, I know we're trying to go. Liverpool. You need to get that in now. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious, now, isn't it? Like, man, you're to play Liverpool tomorrow, and even if we lose ten nil, we'll still be level on points with you. It's, I think it's just hilarious. Like, you know, as a Liverpool fan, I love the way I like how shook Liverpool fans are. I know Liverpool probably still go and win the league, and United might finish. You know. Oh, no, I, think, um, I think it's still between Liverpool and City like it's, it's always been I think City having two games in hand kind of threw yeah. off people they were so far down the table that people kind of yeah. you know I don't know just forgot that they were winning all these games <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. but you can never I think I think Man United like you know Spurs a couple of weeks ago or Everton a month ago or whatever it was were top of the league or whatever but I think Man United's going to be like that like but mm-hmm. if they can go out and beat Liverpool tomorrow then it's, it'd be a different story. I think the bigger thing than... the Yeah, obviously that'd be great, but I think the bigger thing than that is if Man United can get any of their front players playing well, 
shouldn't have a chance because like okay maybe they don't have a chance like, to win no, the league yeah, but a chance of Hernan, maybe finishing Hernandez second Hernandez is a bit out of form now that he, he hasn't been getting as many penalties he actually is a better like you know obviously scoring goals even for penalties helped the form helped the confidence all that stuff mm-hmm. um, he got a bit of a rest yeah, out there last week so it might help him yeah you know but he hasn't been in the best of form since the penalties have dried up a little and um you know, like you know, you need you need, you're gonna need him on form if you're gonna if you're gonna win tomorrow. Yeah, um, we're not Man United not gonna win tomorrow, like. But I like it's it's an interesting one because like Man United are okay top of the league. Well, now, like, I'd like to see if, like you know if Jordan Henderson starting in defence again. If if Matip isn't fit, then he is fit. Though, you know, it changes. What is he though? Like you yeah. know, he's 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 trained half a day and and he's. We didn't see any training pictures today, but he hopefully trained today. But he's always injured. Like, and how fit is he? Like, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um. So hopefully he can he can play if he can play then Henderson can play in midfield with Thiago and I fancy our chances a lot then. But if if it's Fabinho and two and Fabinho and Henderson two centre midfielders at centre back against Man United's uh, pace and you know counter attack, mm-hmm. it could be it could be fucking anything could happen. But yeah. I think uh, if Matip's there and he's in any way fit and Obviously, Allison's absolutely vital as well. Uh, he's been in and out of injury all season. Obviously, Van Dijk and Gomez are out. There's a lot of problems. Like Jota, in a few more weeks, hopefully only a few more weeks, and he'll be back. Like He was, he was scoring a lot of winners in uh, early games, close games, 1-0s, 2-1s, um, games like that. He was he was scoring a lot of winners, mm-hmm. and we've missed that now because Mane, Mane's form in terms of finishing is awful at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so like Liverpool obviously aren't in the in the the best form at all, worst form in a few years now. And Man United are in the best form they've. I, I don't been agree in, at all with that. A, no, Man United haven't played well at all this season. Like Rashford, they're in the best form in in, in terms of. I don't know where they. I don't know where I just think everyone else is not in great form. Mourinho pulled up that second place miracle. Yeah, but like if you if you look at Man United, like I've watched all their games this year, and I'm obviously delighted with where they are, but like. Like the goalkeeping situation, De Gea has been a bit better this year, and Henderson's done okay. But there's still been a few mistakes. Yeah, but no teams, no, no, every team is no, in no, disarray. But, uh, yeah, but like if you look at Wambasaka, has been pretty bad this year, to be honest. And I like him. The boy has played a couple of good games before that. Lindelof has been atrocious. Harry Maguire has been terrible in almost every game. Luke Shaw has been okay, but has a mistake in him. Like McTominay and Fred have played well, but Matic has been awful. Yeah. Hernandez has been fantastic, but not yeah, but great like, last while. Um, Michael Oliver. Uh, <laughs> they've they've all been fantastic for you. So uh, nah, but like no, nah, but if you look at the front three, especially like Rashford, it's he's in the worst form of his career as a Man United player in the last five games. He's been absolutely atrocious. Um, I think like Pogba has obviously started playing well in the last five games. I saw Martial's playing a little bit better, but not scoring goals. Greenwood hasn't been great this season at all, and we've no you know no other right winger. Like Man United's attacking form Tom has been, been your main awesome. man like a lot of the season. Who's that? <laughs> McTominay's running, running yeah, the show. McTominay is like I I disrespected McTominay a lot, and I've on on record as calling him a future West Brom captain. But he's been fantastic this year, to be honest. He's McTominay's a good player. He's he's not bad. He's he's a goal on him. He works really hard. He's a good tackler. He's good position. So, so, so Jordan Henderson's not a good player, but uh, I think I think he is. yeah, I think McTominay. <laughs> genuinely, I'm going to say this here right now. I think McTominay has uh, McTominay is what still only 23, 24, and in that position, that's obviously very young. He he has the potential to be twice the, the player. You gotta go on the record of saying somebody has the potential. I think he's uh, already yeah. big, big call, big he's, call. A, he's already as good as Jordan Henderson. I think he's the potential to be ten times the player of Jordan. <laughs> he's Henderson. already as good he as is. Jordan Henderson. He Are you is. mental? Like what does Jordan Are Henderson do that McTominay can't do? 
He do, he does he, he scores tempo, more goals. Tempo of the game, like it, when Henderson was playing more f- uh, forward on the right, he was scoring more goals. Like, uh, this is defensive midfielder and scores. And Man United don't have positions like Liverpool have. Like all the good associate teams are free for all. Like you, you, you watch the games, watch Liverpool's system compared to Man United's uh, system. It's, it's, it's not a system now. No, Man United definitely have a system now. It's, it's, no it's, 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 no, it, it, it's uh, not. It's not the same. We don't run our players into the ground like Liverpool have either. Yeah, well, like you know, when you when your squad's sin bare due to injuries, you have to play these players more than yeah. When you expect when you're still in the Champions League, like you know, you you got to think about that as well, like. You know, uh, obviously, just yeah, unprecedented amount of game or amount of games in a short amount of time. Yeah, there is. There isn't though. Gary Neville's going to say there wasn't, but there there is. There is shorter season. No, absolutely. There is. No. It's clearly a shorter season, is it not? No, it's not. No. It is. It is because they took away the winter break, sure. So, yeah, exactly. And they did. We should we had the winter break before, but no. You're. It's all excuses. Like, uh, do you still think so Liverpool are going in the league? Do you still think Liverpool are going in the league? Yeah, I think I think Liverpool win the league. I just think. Where's um, United finish? I I I just think Man City though. I think I think Liverpool are like it's not really a club thing to do or FSG thing to do, but I think they need to sign a centre back. Um, uh, yeah, they do. Upper in January, Cameron. like I don't know, I like I don't know who they're looking at or you know whatever, but they've made some extremely good signings uh, under Michael Edwards and Klopp and FSG. Um, in recent years, so like whoever they go with, it's probably you know the best guy for the job, and maybe they'll have to pay a little bit more than they'd like because it's a January signing or whatever. But I think uh, like Man City are so strong always, and uh, I think Liverpool, if Liverpool don't sign a centre back or Gomez doesn't come back early or or something like that, then I think I think Man City will probably win the league. Van Dijk is back uh, training now and stuff, so I'm sure he'll be back in no time. I, I think. We haven't. Yeah, he'd be back though. I I think the and we'll we'll end it maybe in in a second. But I think the biggest thing for Man City this year is the Ruben Diaz signing. He's been fantastic. But I think a big issue for them is John Stones is playing. Like people are saying he's playing well. He played against Man United in the cup and he scored. Okay, he scored the winner or whatever. Who cares? But he was atrocious in that game. And I saw him play another game and he was atrocious as well. And you know that lasts only long enough for him to fuck up. Yeah. And then I've heard I've, I heard Man Man City fans talking about how for some reason. Laporte and Diaz just doesn't work. I don't know. Diaz is brilliant. Like Di- they, have shift, they have to shift Laporte onto his uncomfortable side. Yeah, and it, uh, the kind of what Guardiola wants is kind of more ball playing mm-hmm. player like Stones on that side. So maybe that's why they're trying to force Stones in again. But if if you know he bought him fifty million, kind of was was playing him was kind of reluctant to drop drop him, forced him into kind of a few more errors than maybe he, he should have had. Like, you know, as a kind of inexperienced player, he should have been kind of pulled out maybe. Yeah, um, I, I think Diaz but, is like, like Diaz is so good that he makes Stones look a little, like I think Diaz should win player of the, the, the year this year, like over Fernandez even. I think he's been that good. I think he's, I think he's the best defender in the league. But okay, Van Dijk is out now, but with Van Dijk out, I think he's by far and away the best. He is brilliant. Like he's really, really brilliant. He's the signing of the year anyway by a mile, I think. But well, defenses all over the Premier League have been absolutely terrible. Yeah, uh, this year. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose he has stood out a bit. has been good. I'm not the biggest. Not like, go, though, like you know, we're, yeah. we're not even halfway through the season. It's fun, though, isn't it? Like I think even Liverpool fans kind of like the fact Man United are up there. They're a bit shook at stuff, but like if it was Man United versus Liverpool, yeah, it's good, going to, on. It's good to you know want them to lose and check yeah. the scores and 
you know, uh, the game, like the game last season, even both of them, the first one mm-hmm. and the second one, it was kind of, you know, we, we, it was a shock that Manuel even got a point. It was, you knew they weren't going to win, like, yeah. you know what I mean? I don't and think they win either, but like, I know, I, I, now there's, now yeah. there's high stakes. Now they, 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 they could win. Like, you know, Liverpool are playing awful, like the, the worst they played in years. Um, at the moment, and this squad is obviously badly in bad shape in terms of injuries. Um, and you know, Solskjaer kind of came out and made a comment about it's a great time or it's a great time to play yeah. Liverpool or whatever. And that probably, like, you know, Klopp mentioned it as well, so that'd probably be something he'll be. Uh, he'd be I, I using against them yeah. trying to come out and make a, make a hot start and try to kind of put the swords in them early, but. You know, that's kind of playing into what man I'd want. Klopp is doing his fair share of talking though as well over the last while, which are we leaving it at that anyway? Rashford, I thought, was the worst coming out saying, oh, Mourinho taught us how to win penalties. I'm like, on the week you play a fucking Liverpool, you're going to come out and start talking about penalties. You have an like, honest man in Manchester, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, I say I know it. it's been in decades, it's been <laughs> millennium, millennia, but like to a, to uh, a normal person, it's a breath of fresh air to have some I, honesty. I, I, I can tell. I was the former ref, uh, Mark Latford, to come out and say, yeah, it was all biased. It was all, didn't want to give anything against good old Alex Ferguson and it kind of faded away a little bit with David Moyes but never went away I think uh, by the tone oh, of your okay. voice I'd oh. say you're delighted by those Rashford comments because there's not a hope in hell man you to get a penalty this weekend anyway uh, well, that like fucking history, idiot well, massive hope in, in fucking every yeah. game for Man United to get a penalty but sure look at alright we better leave it at that anyway 100 minutes approaching into the Severe May podcast episode 295 uh, thanks everyone for listening we're obviously going to have a big week over on Patreon this week so sign up patreon.com forward slash Severe May podcast head on over to manscaped.com uh, and use the promo code Severe May for 20% off and free shipping uh, Severe MMA for articles all week uh, Ian O'Neill will have stuff up there uh, and uh, other things as well Follow Graham at Severe MMA, myself at Sean Sheehan BA, and send in your questions all week at Severe MMA Pod. And give that a follow too if you're not following already. So, um, Happy New Year to everyone. Appreciate the support, and especially this week. Obviously, the McGregor Fight Week is is for the, the, the only, the biggest Irish MMA podcast and website. Uh, it's obviously going to be a big week for us, and we appreciate all the, the love and support and uh, all of that. Thanks. Thank you, everyone. God bless. We'll see you all next time. Good luck. Glory, glory, man. You like it.